Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to Citizen. We have a very special guest today, Kevin Lavelle from uh, Mizzen in Maine. Not Mizen, as you pointed out before the show started. Um, how's it going, man? It's great. It's a, it's a wonderful day here in Dallas, Texas, and glad to be chatting today. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, for sure. So um, tell me a bit about yourself uh, and what you do. A bit about myself. Um, I'm a very happy husband of 10 years and uh, very fortunate to be a dad of two awesome kids. My son, Jack, is six and my daughter, Laura Marie, is four. Uh, we live in Dallas, Texas. It's a great place to live and raise a family. And uh, about a decade ago, I started a company called Mizzen in Maine. Had a crazy idea for a performance fabric dress shirt. Um, after that, I uh, spent a few years working for a philanthropy um, based out of Washington, D.C., and am on startup number two to try and help parents regain a little bit of sanity and uh, help develop healthy sleep habits for both kids and parents. So that's uh, me in a nutshell. Okay, well, let's jump into the fabric stuff. Just out of care, I'm, I'm always curious about how companies like this get started. When you say performance fabric, what do you mean? So the same type of performance fabrics that you'd find, this is a golf polo mm. uh, in a workout shirt, there, there's many different types of fibers that make up the different types of fabrics. So some are softer, some are a little bit thinner, some are a little thicker. My idea was to utilize those same fibers to create a dress shirt that looks exactly like a normal dress shirt, but you can wear it, and you can wear it with a suit and tie, but has all the performance characteristics that we've come to know and love from all things athletic apparel. 
So I spent about a year kind of tinkering with fibers and fabrics and figuring out how to get something off the ground. And we launched in July of 2012 with a dress shirt that uh, was the first of its kind. So you can throw it in a washing machine, take it out, put it on a hanger and wear it in about a half an hour. You don't have to iron it or dry clean it. You can wear it with a suit and tie or a little more casually. Um, but when you look at it, it looks no different than a traditional dress shirt. And that was the goal. Um, and, and it came from, I worked in DC as a political intern um, about, I don't know, 15 plus years ago, which taught me I, I never really wanted to work in politics or DC. Um, and watched a guy run into a building soaked in sweat. And I, I grew up playing golf. So I wondered why had no one made a dress shirt out of the same thing that had transformed the world of, of golf, um, right? Uh, when performance fabric polos first came on the scene in the golf course, it was, it was a little bit different. And slowly but surely, you would be uh, seen as insane to not wear a performance polo while playing golf because it's just that much better. Sure. I wanted to do the same thing with dress shirts. So launched in July of 2012. I figured we'd sell out of our first run overnight because I was introducing a, a game changer for all guys everywhere. And it turns out there's really no such thing as an overnight success. And we had to actually go build a company. And that was the the next many years of my life. Yeah. Imagine that. Uh, yeah. It's uh, it's always tough getting started um, yeah. because for, for a lot of reasons, I mean, you know, just getting traction in the marketplace is, is one mm -hmm. of the more difficult things, <clears throat> but it is uh, you know, I enjoy when people figure out a, a gap in the marketplace and then solve it. That's what a business is, you know, at its at its core. And that that ideology of of solving problems and doing so in a way that benefits both parties, I think, is uh, kind of the it's the it's the essence of real capitalism, right? Um, not what we're experiencing today, which is kind of like corporate fascism, but like actual capitalism where it's like two, I grow corn and you grow uh, wheat and I need some wheat and you need some corn. We'll figure out a way to make it work. Right. That's, um, <clears throat> we're, we're, we're well beyond that, uh, bartering now, but we're definitely into a situation where the, aside from the, the big, big companies, we're in a, a true creator economy these days. Like it's never been a better time for the individual to start a business. And I think it's important that we get more people to start businesses that are boutique, that are local, that use local products and, and workforces, because right now all of the value is being siphoned out of our economy by assholes, right? Um, whether it, whether it be the government or somebody else. And it's, it's never a good thing. It's why we're experiencing inflation and a recession at the same time. That should be impossible, technically speaking. But, you know, uh, you, you've owned this company for 10 years now. And uh, a lot of our people do, you know, D to C stuff here. Mm -hmm. How, how's it been for your uh, supply chain over the past year or two? Uh, enormously challenging, to say the least. Um, you know, I, the, the reality is... Uh, I can't remember the, it's the creation of a pencil paradox or, or something along those lines. It was, it's been put more eloquently than that, but basically no one today knows how to make a pencil. So if you had to start from the very uh, raw material and create a finished product as a pencil, effectively no one could do that today because we're so intertwined and there are pros and cons to that. A global supply chain is a good thing because countries that trade with each other are much more likely to find productive solutions to the challenges that they have. Um, and some 
countries and some people are better at some things than others. That's that's all a good thing. The challenge becomes to part of what you just alluded when you have rent seekers and people who want to rig the system to protect the power or to protect the monopoly that they have. Um, and there's a, a very unhealthy and unholy alliance uh, between uh, folks in power to make sure that even though it's the best time ever to start a business today, it's the hardest time ever to compete with legacy incumbents and, and bigger companies because they're able to rig the system more and more in their favor. Um, and so, you know, I, I look at the journey that Mizzen and Maine has had over the years. Um, no one, thankfully, was able to, to hold us back from offering a better product. Um, but we certainly face a significant number of challenges just in raw material and shipping and in moving product. I mean, our our freight costs to move product had increased something like 700 percent from 2020 through the end of 2022. Things have started to normalize, and, and that's a good thing for everybody, um, not not least of which is the consumers who at the end of the day are the ones who bear the cost. Mm. So it's been a wild ride over the last few years and um, glad to. Uh, glad to hear of, of fellow entrepreneurs who are looking to continue to create value through that exchange of value, right? That's the that's the ultimate goal as a business is you create something that people value and they exchange something of value to you uh, for that. I mean, yeah, the, the, um, the ultimate, I guess, <sighs> hmm, the, I, I guess the goal would be to, yeah, exchange value at the one-on-one -on -one level and then, you know, grow your business to a degree where you're now exchanging value for for services and not just goods right so that's that's kind of the the building block of a middle class economy which is to say like you and i as landowners or whatever back in the day would have been able to exchange stuff but for people who are uh, uh laborers for example they need those businesses to exist and to thrive in a way that uh eschews unnecessary automation that doesn't report necessarily to boards, but rather, you know, is, is, uh, an employee friendly company and, and not just concerned mm -hmm. about, uh, you know, the bottom line and stuff like that. I think it's super important. Like we talk a lot about what it means to be a patriot, I guess, or what it means to be a good steward of your community in general. And a lot of people think that turning a profit, uh, uh on the left, at least, uh, will will say that turning a profit is, is somehow intrinsically, uh, ignoble, which it's fucking stupid, right? I mean, that's kind of the whole purpose of all this stuff is to, um, you know, buy something for a dollar and sell it for two. So I wonder from your perspective, um, you've been in the political game as well. What do you see as some of the challenges to start starting a business right now? Because it, it seems like, especially during um, <clears throat> all the COVID lockdown nonsense, that big companies got much bigger and some mom and pop companies so from what we can tell about seven to 800,000 of them closed forever and will never reopen. So that's mm -hmm. life savings gone. Right. Uh, I wonder from your mm -hmm. perspective, what are some of the, the key hangups right now? Cause a lot of our people are interested in starting businesses and, you know, uh, getting just being your own boss, having a little freedom, things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll touch first on this idea, uh, when it comes to profit, because you can make, you can buy something for a dollar and sell it for two in a very corrupt way, mm -hmm. and you can do it in a very um, just and noble way. Uh, and, and I think there's been this um, kind of coalescing of ideological viewpoints where you have, uh, I'll just say again, rent seekers um, versus those who create value. And, and that seems to now, in, in my view, span across the traditional political spectrum from the left to the right, um, that 
there are those that abuse that power on all sides of the spectrum. And there are companies that are doing it, uh, again, nobly and justly. And um, I, I spent a couple of years working for a philanthropy that um, Charles Koch has been very involved with called Stand Together. And he writes a book called Good Profit. And it's ultimately about there are good ways to earn profit. Um, and if you create value in society and do it in a way that um, honors your employees and stakeholders and, and society writ large, um, it is it is one of the noblest forms uh, of, of virtue and one of the pursuits that we should all be interested in, in rewarding. So, um, you know, when I look at business today, what's the hardest aspect? Because I'm, I'm starting a second business now. Fundamentally, the, the greatest challenge that we're all facing is inflation. And inflation is the hidden tax on all of us. And, um, you know, it's uh, taxes are a, a term fraught with a lot of uh, uh, a lot of pitfalls and and people view them very differently. But at the end of the day, um, inflation hits everybody. Um, and those who are struggling to get by inflation is is especially um, especially difficult because you may have had the ability to start a business, but all of a sudden your savings get wiped out or just making end meet, ends meet looks very different. And, and that's lost in how we look at monetary policy. It's lost in how we look at um, policies that affect everybody. And so um, that's the thing that scares me the most. And, um, you know, we played fast and loose as a country for a long time with monetary policy. And um, that's not something that a lot of people vote on. Um, people vote on a lot of things. But uh, what has led us to this point isn't something that I think a lot of Americans either were uh, able to influence or understood kind of what was at play from behind the scenes, because mm. so much of it is it's it's dark rooms, right? It's uh, what is it? Cigar filled rooms and closed doors right. in the halls of power. Um, so the, the single best thing for everybody will be to get on the other side of this crushing inflation. And when that happens, you have people that are more likely to be able to, whether it's start a very small local business or create one of the next great American businesses. Um, and look, I'm still long term bullish on the American economy. I think over the next 30 years, this is a better place to be than anywhere else in the world. Uh, it doesn't mean that there are things that don't need to change dramatically or there aren't other countries that are doing things better than us in, in certain aspects. But long term, um, this is still the best place to be. And, and I hope that we can continue to make that the case. Yeah, I mean, like so people vote on the economy a lot. In a typical election that doesn't have some major social wedge issue, it's like 83% of people vote based on their wallet. But mm -hmm. I don't know how many people know things like um, 75 to 80% of our currency has been printed in the last uh, uh, 24 to 36 months, for example. Like, mm -hmm. and, and what they do hear a lot is the debt ceiling stuff. They hear about um, how, you know, people in the, in the liberal side of things – um, well, not even liberal, the leftist side of things are positing answers like printing a, a trillion dollar bill to, to pay debt and stuff like that. Um, I'm not sure the average American has a very good grasp on what the economy is, what how a fiat cur currency operates and things like that. Instead, we were teaching people trigonometry in high school for some fucking reason. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I like the idea of educating people more, but I'm not sure people have the bandwidth for this stuff. It is, it seems like there's a lot of magicians. I mean, I've worked in politics too, and I, I did it for 
one campaign season just to see what it was like. And I, I've always hated politicians ever since then because they're the most corrupt people in the world. Um, but you know, you do have to get involved at some point. And I, you're, you're probably right. I don't know what the average American with their vote or with their actions can really do about inflation at this point. Yeah. There's certainly not a lot that anyone American can do at this point. Um, I think people underestimate utilizing their voice for their local congressman or woman or their local or their state senator. Um, it, it matters, I think, far more than people understand. This is the uh, this is the reality of social media. It's the reality of politics. A very small number of people create the most noise and uh, the most perceived direction of where things, uh, you know, where the mood of the country is. And so just some level of regular engagement with the individual who happens to be representing your district or your state um, matters a lot because uh, when people who work in those offices get those phone calls, there's some level of bubbling up, hey, here's what we're hearing. So I would encourage everybody to reach out to whoever represents them. Even if you disagree with them on 98% of issues, they represent you in, in Congress or in, in Senate. The, the, the secondary piece to this, you know, what can any American do? Um, local politics matters far more than I think anybody realizes. Um, at, you know, whether it's your city, or at the state level, right? State representatives or state senators, not just federal. Um, it matters a great deal, um, and good people need to get engaged. Um, I know very good people who've gotten engaged in politics and quickly become disillusioned and and walked right back out the door. And I I understand and I empathize with that. Um, but but sharing your voice and going to school board meetings um, and and actually participating in local politics, um, it, it matters. I think the last thing would be um, in every opportunity that you have, respectfully disagree and have dialogue with people um, in your neighborhood and, uh, you know, uh, in your life. Um, I think we've gotten to this point where people are either screaming or everyone is just keeping their mouth shut for fear of retribution. Um, and my experience is most people that you encounter are very open to having a dialogue, even if you disagree wholeheartedly. Um, and the more that we can voice rational and reasonable opinions and have dialogue, I think the better example it sets for everybody. Um, you know, I, I, I don't understand the, the hold that political parties have on this country because I, I just don't see the world through that, that mm -hmm. binary lens. Because if you were to ask any, let's say, uh, uh, very strongly oriented political person, whether they're in the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, to list off all the issues that their party supports. I don't think that they would necessarily be able to. And I also don't think that they would say, I agree with 100% of that. Sure. But we've gotten, we've gotten into this world where people see things in such a binary fashion and no part of life is that cut and dry, where there is absolutely no middle ground. Um, and I think the other thing that, unfortunately, we've gotten kind of sucked into as a country is a lot of times bipartisan means that we just agree to continue to go in this direction and don't, you know, argue with each other. And that direction is more spending, more debt, uh, more concentrated power, and kind of more support of folks who are able to drive rent seeking behavior. So um, any chance that you get as an individual, as a citizen to just be calm, be rational, be respectful and speak up. Um, that that matters a lot in my book. And, yeah, and from the folks that I continue to hear talk to, 
Um, I see, I see positive opportunities, but we need more folks to speak up. Yeah. And get engaged. I mean, you know, you don't have to uh, run for political office to be politically engaged. You don't have to actually support any particular political candidate or party either. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's, this is something I say on the show quite a bit, but Plato once said that if you, uh, refuse to take part in your own governance, you're going to be ruled by fools, right? I mean, that's, uh, uh, or, or I, it, it's the translation's weird. It could have been your lessers, but either way, uh, I think the point sure. stands. And yeah, on the dialogue part, I try to get people to do this more and more. Um, and you know, it's different, different strategies for different people, I guess. But, um, one of them is the principle of charity, right? Which is like a first century, uh, uh, a Jewish scholar came up with this idea that you should, in a debate, take your opponent's statement or opinion at its best possible meaning instead of assuming the worst. Um, sure. that, that's a good, uh, a good strategy to use, I think. Another thing is when you're getting ready to argue or debate or discuss something with somebody, and look, you shouldn't be afraid of that, first of all, because the less we debate, the more hardened and ignorant we become in our own positions, which is never a good thing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Think to yourself when you're getting ready to respond to someone, is there a way that I can ask this question or make this point that illuminates the similarities of our positions instead of illuminating the differences, right? Because I find yeah. that most people, like if you ask people general banal questions about economics and government power in their lives, they will answer pretty much the same. Like you're going to get the same from, from a libertarian you're going to get the same and from uh, like distrust of the government than you will for somebody that lives in a fucking ghetto somewhere. You know what I mean? Like the, it's the, the thing that unites them is that they want to have control over their own lives and they, and, and what we know about not having control over your own life, whether it's in a macro or micro level is that it breeds nihilism very quickly. Right. And, sure. and then uh, for, for people who are disenfranchised, it breeds generational nihilism. Right, which is much more difficult to repair because instead of having an open young mind to educate, now you're having to tear down a bunch of, you know, walls that are built by people who experienced shit that was a lot different than what's happening right now. We see that a lot now. People the these kids in the uh Pacific Northwest are so angry about <laughs> about the way that government operates. I'm like, Yeah, I'm with you, bud totally with you but mm -hmm. the the conclusions you're making are absolutely preposterous like the 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 landscape that you're defining doesn't exist you know what i mean but the, it is interesting because there is there are problems and we can all tell that there are problems it's it, it's becoming difficult or it, it's maybe not becoming difficult maybe it's just been difficult to define them in a way that everybody agrees on the definition right sure like nobody that People on the left, and look, this is these are generalizations, but people on the left don't want the government telling them uh, what drugs they can take or uh, what women can do with their bodies, for example. People on the right don't want the government telling them what they can do with taxes or their guns or whatever the fuck else, right? These are you're you're explaining the exact same problem here, right? Which is that people want to have control over their own lives. They don't want to be fucking uh, nannied all the time, and. How do you how do you animate that to, to people in mass that have such varied opinions? Yeah, you know, I, <clears throat> I I can't remember where I'd heard this before, but at the end of the day, most people want what's best for their family, mm -hmm. right? They want their kids to be able to grow up in a world that's safe, and they want their family to be able to um, continue to uh, 
uh, grow and prosper. Now, there's a lot of different tactics and there's a lot of different ways in, in which that can be realized. But most people, and I, I would say we're talking the vast majority of Americans, would agree that they, they want the same things for their families. There's a lot of different ways in which that, that can uh, come to be. But um, I, I wish that I remembered this statistic exactly, but it was something like of 700 or so counties that voted for President Obama twice, 227 of them or so voted for President Trump in 2016. Now, that's, a, that's one of the most illuminating statistics I've heard. This is, these are counties who voted for President Obama twice and then voted for a very, very different candidate in 2016 in so many aspects of their personal life, of their policy, all of those things. Why, why would that be? Well, because things weren't necessarily going substantially or exceptionally well for a lot of people when it comes time for the next presidential election. So they say, well, I'll try, I'll try this person. M maybe they'll be more helpful to me and my family this time as opposed to a very hardened view that it's all one direction or all the other direction. At the end of the day, people want to be able to take care of their families. Um, and so uh, that's what sort of animates my view of the world. And uh, again, to a point that we discussed earlier, uh, you don't necessarily have to get involved politically to be someone who cares about local elections, state elections, um, or the folks that are representing you. and retaining an ongoing dialogue with them. Um, uh, and then lastly, to just sort of reiterate this point overall, if you can't talk to somebody at all about an issue, um, it may be time to, to kind of take a step back and say, well, where, where are things that we can agree on mm -hmm. and sort of just reestablish that baseline and see that humanity in the other side or the other person or whatever that might be. Um, there are exceptions. There are, there are, Full-blown nihilists or people that um, really do not want positive and, and good things in this world. That's a, that's a very, very, very small percentage of actual folks. Um, and there are no shortage of great examples of people sitting down who have completely divergent viewpoints and finding that shared humanity. And that's something I'm going to continue to try and encourage folks to do. This episode of Citizens is brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee Company. Join the Black Rifle Coffee Club and get fresh roasted freedom delivered straight to your door. Black Rifle Coffee Company is veteran-operated and supports America's military, law enforcement, and first responders. Get premium coffee delivered every month. Choose your favorite roasts, rounds, and delivery schedule anytime you like. Members also get free shipping and access to exclusive partner discounts. The best value you're going to get from Black Rifle Coffee is the coffee club. As again, you can choose the roast, whether you're like light, dark, or medium. You can choose the texture you can choose whether you want uh, ground coffee whether you want to grind it yourself and get whole bean or if you use a keurig and you want the coffee rounds and the delivery schedule with a wider uh, array of options for that get 20 percent off your first order with the code citizen so go to blackriflecoffee.com sign up for the coffee club use the code citizen and get 20 percent off your first order this episode of citizens also brought to you by ghostbed dot com forward slash drinky bros right now ghostbed is offering 40 percent off ghostbed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base for everything else 30 percent off if you use the code drinking bros at ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros if you get the uh 40 off deal if you use the 40 off bundle deal you're going to get 
uh, a mattress and all your stuff, your base, your sheets, your pillows, all this stuff for about 30 to 35 bucks a month. They've got a zero down, 0% financing plan for up to 60 months, six zero months, that's five years, uh, about the lifespan of the average bed. So it works out great for you, works out great for uh, the company. So go check it out. Go to ghostbed.com for slash drinker bros. Whether you're in the market for a bed, uh, an adjustable base, whether you just need sheets or pillows or any of that stuff, they got the best, the mattress protector, the weighted blanket. They have everything you need there, 30% off everything, Use the code DRINKINGBROS at ghostbed.com forward slash DRINKINGBROS. Or if you need that adjustable base as well and the mattress, get the bundle and everything else you add onto that deal is 40% off. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash citizenpodcast. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off ordering uh, with your interactive monitoring. So uh, did you know that property crimes like burglaries and package theft spike over the wintertime? It's a fact. That's why now is the best time to secure your home with award-winning home security. Simply Safe is the home security system I recommend to everyone. We use it here at the office. Uh, make it your resolution to start the new year with greater peace of mind and safety for you and your family. Uh, and here's why I love it. It's super easy to set up. It is, it, it'll take you maybe half an hour to set the whole system up, which by the way is quick uh, compared to other systems. Uh, Simply Safe was named the best home security system of 2022 by U.S. News and World Report for the third year in a row. And an emergency 24/7 professional monitoring agents use Fast Protect uh, technology exclusively from Simply Safe to capture critical evidence and verify the threat is real, so you can get priority police response. Or if it's a false positive, they can make sure that you know you can get some peace of mind about that. Uh, Simply Safe is a whole home security with advanced sensors for every room, every window, every door. HD security cameras for inside and out. Smarter ways to detect motion that alert you only when the threat is actually real and it's not just, you know, a, a, an umbrella outside flapping in the wind. And even hazard sensors to, that detect fires, floods, and other threats to your home. <clears throat> Look, it's cheap. 24-7 professional monitoring services uh, cost about uh, a little bit under a dollar a day, less than half the price of ADT. So with a top-rated Simply Safe app, you can also stay in complete control of your system anytime, anywhere. Arm or disarm, unlock for a guest, access your cameras, adjust uh, system settings. And, you know, one of the ancillary benefits of this is that you tell your insurance, your home insurance company, especially if you're a homeowner, but even as a renter, that you have this kind of system and now your rates go down, right? So not only are you saving money on the service itself, but the service itself is saving you money in other ways. So customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash citizenpodcast. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off your order uh, with interactive monitoring. That's simplysafe.com slash citizen podcast, S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E.com slash citizen podcast. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Yeah, me too. Uh, you know, what, what do you think, uh, what, what role do you think the attention span or, or uh, whatever you want to call it, the lack of academic rigor the uh, average opinion holding American has these days. Cause you, you talked about things weren't necessarily going well under Obama. I Obamacare really pissed a lot of people off. There's no question about that, especially people on the left who voted for it, thinking that they were going to keep their doctors and their rates are going to be low and things like that. I know a lot of people felt some kind of way about that, but um, the, the big economic issue was 
the housing market crash, right? That happened early on as an administration and it took a while to, that was a global recession, took a little while to come out of that. And it almost immediately, when you, when you have that conversation, I've had it a, a many, many times, it almost immediately devolves into, well, that was the Bush administration leading into the Obama administration that did, did that. Like, okay, cool. Yeah. But you know, it was Barney Frank that set up all these subprime loans in the first place that, that, uh, wrote the legislation to allow this shit to happen in the first place. It was corporate interests who pay both Democratic and Republican candidates that the rent seekers in this regard, uh, who who are manipulating the economy, really, th- this was a bipartisan effort to fuck everybody over, right? Um, and, and it becomes very obvious. All you have to do is kind of look into it a little bit. I wonder, uh, I do a lot of, um, I do a lot of suicide prevention stuff. Um, because it's a big deal in the veteran community. And one of the issues is that people are depressed or nihilistic or feel some kind of way and they spiral very quickly. Oftentimes there's a five to 15 minute window where everything feels hopeless and somebody does something Mm -hmm. drastic that they wouldn't have done if they, if you could just hit the pause button for a few minutes. Um, and then conversely, if, if you could, if we could somehow train people to when they see something, some piece of information that they just spend 10 or 15 minutes looking into it, right? That, that mm. very small amount of time can change a lot of stuff, I feel like. And I'm not sure exactly how to do that. I mean, what I tell people is that uh, the more you, if you see a new piece of information, the more you believe it, the more you want to believe it, the more skeptical of it you should mm. become. Because especially these days, the media is, is custom tailoring things to try to invade mm. your mind. Uh, what advice would you have for people in that regard? And then, you know, from a leadership perspective, have you found any um, methodologies that might help get people to slow down for a sec? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Without, because a lot of people just want to dunk on everybody. Like, no, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Here's the proof. Fuck you. I'm like, all right, cool, man. I mean, I guess you won, but what the fuck did you win exactly? Sure. So um, we do, uh, Mizzen and Maine has been working with an organization in Dallas called Adaptive Training Foundation for many years. Uh, and it's uh, started by a former Mr. Irrelevant uh, NFL guy named Dave Vibora. And he started this gym. Uh, you guys can look it up. I would definitely recommend it. But started this gym and um, ended up meeting a guy named Travis Mills. Um, he was a quadruple amputee. And Dave said, come train with me. And, and Dave's eyes opened were open to many of the challenges faced by um, specifically at the time, military amputees, just in like, as he says, one of their greatest enemies is gravity. Mm. Um, if, if you go through rehab after an amputation, you, you might get the most basic skill levels back, but things like getting in and out of a car uh, or falling down start to look very different if you are an amputee. That's, that's a, a very short, shortened version of the background. What he ultimately did was build a gym that helps people who are facing any kind of disability regain the independence and freedom in their life across the military and civilian divide. And one of the things that he did was he did not want it to be a veteran only program because, as he said, veterans don't live alone in the world. They live alongside civilians. And there is real benefit for civilians and veterans to go through programs like this together. Um, I, I give some of that background because I, I think it it helps a lot in terms of some of the lessons that I've experienced from from Dave and his program. But he has talked about helping people 
basically hit that pause button when things are spiraling. And whether you're a civilian, whether you're a veteran facing any level of difficulty, um, he talks a lot about mindfulness and there's a lot of practices and programs, but one of his tools is five, four, three, two, one. And I might butcher this slightly, but if you are spiraling out of control, if you are really facing a difficult moment, even if you're just arguing, you know, vehemently with your partner or your spouse, stop and look around. What are five things that you can see? What are four things that you can hear? What are three things that you can touch? What are two things that you can smell? And what is one thing that you can taste? And and just that that very simple process makes everything stop around you because you really have to think. And sometimes we get in these very automatic cycles where everything is moving a million miles a minute. And you know, quitter dunking um, is is a is a great example of that. The pylons just happen so fast. But just hit pause and and do that five four three two one. And, and when you do that, you are taken out of the automatic cycle. If you're in fight or flight or anything else, that ability to move from the subconscious to the conscious mind, because you have to think about it, um, is one of the greatest tools that I've ever seen, especially for folks facing extreme mental duress um, or in a very difficult or potentially life-threatening situation. Um, the, the other thing that I would say is... Um, don't overestimate, and I'm guilty of this as well, the reality that most people don't live very online lives. So uh, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it might be, whatever the controversy du jour is, if you were to ask most people across the country, they would probably have no idea what you're even talking about. Because most people are going to work, trying to take care of their kids, trying to take care of their parents, dealing with whatever shit they have in their life. Um, and so what I try and do when I see this craziness happening is just step back and away from it. And I will regularly just stop using social media altogether for a month at a time. And it's amazing how much calmer I feel in my own life. I know folks that are, you know, we're talking about how many people understand the nuances of monetary policy or, or things like that. I doubt that I could explain it very well and I pay a lot of attention to it, mm. but I know friends who are exceptionally brilliant people, extremely gifted and, and, and very um, in tune with the world, who basically at any given moment think the world is literally about to end because they are so sucked into the chaos that they, they don't really realize that uh, certainly the media is manufacturing it, but also the speed at which these cycles are happening online because of the nature of tech companies and eyeballs and clicks and journalists and whether they're citizen journalists and not a part of the media or, you know, the, the center of those that create the narratives that we live by at the center of the media, it's all about eyeballs and it's all about engagement um, across the spectrum. Um, and so, you know, coming back to what's a tool that you can use, um, a friend of mine, very brilliant entrepreneur, basically said, I haven't read the news in 15 years. Um, Ryan Holiday wrote a book called Trust Me, I'm Lying, and mm. it's about media, media manipulation. And uh, my friend um, basically said, you know, don't I don't read the news. I just read history. And what it does is help me understand that everything we're experiencing, some version of it has happened many times over throughout human history. Now, some of the technology may be different, right? War has certainly changed a lot over the last hundred years, even over the last 20 years. Um, no one had a cell phone in their hand 30 years ago. But at the end of the day, these things that we're experiencing, it's just a slightly new flavor of a thing that we face throughout all of human history. And so reading history rather than news 
has a way of calming the mind and helping reassure that it's a, it's just a, a new flavor of, of the same old problem. Uh, and a very funny point to drive this home, a way to remember this concept is, if you think the news is important, read the news from six months ago. Mm-hmm. Like whatever was on the front page of the news or whatever trending BS topic was at the top of Twitter from six months ago, see how much of a difference it makes in your life reading it today. Probably zero. Um, and at the end of the day, coming full circle back to this question about inflation, there are things that we can do in our life to improve the situation around us, but there's not a lot we can do to change the macro picture in any given moment, other than, as Jordan Peterson says, don't lie, right? Make your bed, um, treat people with respect and dignity. Um, if you do those things right, a lot of the the rest of the things in your life will somehow come together as they need to. Yeah, it's a good point. Um a couple of things. One is uh, the um, <clears throat> the problem of that. There are some jobs that just intrinsically deal with crises all the time. Cops, mm-hmm. firefighters, mm-hmm. ER nurses and doctors, uh, soldiers, sometimes people in politics, um, mm-hmm. e- even a lot of people in the news. And it's easy to get sucked into that. I mean, if it if it bleeds, it leads, I believe, is the quote from the CNN producer. But it, 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 that, that sure. it's true. It's it's rubbernecking. It's a car pileup mm-hmm. or whatever, and people get sucked into mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, everything looks, everything starts to look like a crisis, right? The human mind mm-hmm. is designed to to distinguish between threats and benefits. Ultimately, that's the yes. the job that it does. And you know you're dealing with uh, what data folks call uh, GIGO garbage in garbage out. If you're getting bad data, right. Mm-hmm. Or uh, uncon uncontexted, I guess, data, then it can look really bad. Uh, and, you know, aside from, well, I guess it's kind of uh, compounded by how, especially the younger crowd these days are being taught to catastrophize everything. Right. Um, mm-hmm. As, and like if something I like that idea of the historical perspective, if something's fucked right now, something weird's going on or whatever it is, uh, it probably is a useful exercise to find some historical perspective on that, because we yeah. like we people these days, it's always everything is always the first or worst. Right. It's, sure. This is the worst in history or the first time it's sure. ever happened. Very rarely is that actually true. Right. I mean, the, yeah. we, we just keep repeating the same stuff, like all the stuff that's going on in American government right now with, you know, the rise in corporate fascism and the, and the, you know, the marriage between the state and, and large corporations, that's nothing new. Like this has happened before. As a matter of fact, it's happened in America before with the printing press back in the day. Right. Um, I mean, it's, it's much more the norm than the anomaly. Sure. Right. Uh, especially when you look back, I mean, right. The, uh, what was it? The East India trading Trading company. company, Right. Uh, th- that That's the norm, right? Things today are actually much more exceptional in, in terms of what humans have faced throughout all of time. Um, and to your point around, it's either the first or the worst. M- maybe it is the first time this has ever happened, but it's not the first time that something like this has ever happened. Um, and again, I continue to be long-term bullish on America. I continue to be long-term uh, optimistic about the prospects for society. It doesn't mean we shouldn't continue to push hard and hold ourselves and, and our leaders accountable. Um, but the um, prophesizing around doom uh, is 
I think a very, it's a very normal thing mm. if you read history, right? This is a very normal thing. People have always assumed that the world is going to end soon. Oh yeah. Nostradamus, somehow... one of the most famous writers in history is <laughs> right. all, it's like, that's all it is. It's just, uh, it's like a doom filled yeah. horoscope basically. And you know, when you look, I I'm, I'm reading a book right now on, um, Ulysses S. Grant. And when you look at what was happening during the civil war, um, it, it certainly felt like the world was ending and for good reason. Um, and the things that were said and the things that were done were unimaginable in their horror at the time. Uh, yet somehow sticking to values and, and continuing to, let's say, fight the good fight over time, things got better. And, you know, if you look at the history of human progress over the last 200 years, 100 years, 50 years, 25 years, things have gotten demonstrably better. And there is no way to argue with that. Of course, there are exceptions. And of course, there are still bad things that happen. Um, but and sorry, I don't know if you can hear my dog is um, dreaming in the background, making hysterical <laughs> noises. Uh, um, you know, I, I, I look at, uh, ultimately, uh, there are things that could take us off that course. And it doesn't mean just be laissez faire and let anything happen. We, we do still need to be vigilant, we do still need to push for what we know is right. Um, but if you take a step back, if you tune things out for even just a few minutes, I, I think you will, we will all find that things are nowhere near as bad as it seems. Um, and ultimately, again, talk to normal people who don't spend much time online and you will not find that same sense of doom and gloom. You may find, given the situation we find ourselves in today with inflation, people are really struggling. Mm but they're not struggling about the things that everyone is screaming at each other online about. Um, and getting that little bit of separation, I think can give a lot of clarity around what actually matters and what's really important. Yeah, I agree with that hundred percent. And, uh, you know, to your point about, um, just the catastrophizing that happens throughout history, even when it's, uh, I suppose during the civil war, it was probably warranted to some degree. Um, sure. but we think, when it, when it feels like things are going nuts, like the world is ending, uh, and, and maybe it is the case that the world as it is, or your world as it is, does end, something new sure. always takes its place, right? That's kind of how it works. Mm -hmm. Like you you uh, go from one relationship or job to another, you move homes, you have to file bankruptcy or some shit, and then you, know, you make a comeback from that. It, it's you have to be ready to be part of, if not the solution to whatever the problem is, you have to be ready to be part of whatever the new thing is, right? It doesn't help to, to, you know, woe is me and bury your head in the sand. And it reminds me of this old, you know, super, I hate motivational quotes, but, uh, it's, it's something like, uh, whether you think you can or you can't, you can't, you're right. You know what I mean? Sure. Absolutely. U ultimately you got to be prepared to live in whatever the fucking world is going to be. You know what I mean? Whether that means being yeah. able to provide food for yourselves, uh, being able to stay warm if it gets cold out and the electrical grid's down, whatever it is, right? I, I'm not trying to mm -hmm. go full prepper here, but you yeah. know, it doesn't. It, it's not an. It's not a dumb thing to be ready for things like that. Sure. Yeah, and you know, I think one of the overarching lessons I feel like I've learned over the last few years um, from some very bright folks is the need for real intellectual humility. And there are a lot of people who feel very confident that they know what is going to happen next in their policy prescriptions, in their global policy prescriptions, 
um, whether it was around some of the things that happened with COVID or terrorism or just go back in time, right? People said, this is what's going to happen. And if you have that level of certainty, you're either lying to yourself or you know you're lying to everyone else because it is impossible to understand what is coming. Absolutely no one predicted COVID. Absolutely no one predicted 9-11. Absolutely no one predicted, go back in time. Um, and so I just try and sort of say like, I'm gonna do the best I have with what I have in front of me, um, but it would be foolish for me to make that level of prediction about even my own life, let alone everyone around me or you know, within my company, this is exactly how we should do things or this is what the policy should be for every single person in the country. There's a, a level of, um, uh, there's a complete lack of humility in making that level of, of certainty and predictions. And that's the thing that I find um, the most concerning about politicians, whether on the left or right, is this sense of certainty around it has to be this way or it absolutely cannot be this way. Again, that lack of gray area there are very few things in life that have true, no gray area. Um, yet we want in life for things to be black and white. And, you know, uh, in tragedies that happen in society or in our own lives, when you talk about some of these policy prescriptions, people will point to the edge case and say, mm -hmm. well, what about that thing? And the unfortunate reality is there are just some bad things in happen that happen in society. There are some bad people that you cannot control every aspect around yet we design policy and we want to design our lives as if we have that total control um, and, and perhaps it's because we have more control of the world around us than we ever had before right you can get around the world in what 14 hours mm -hmm. is the longest direct flight today you can get halfway around the world so it feels like we should have more control but uh, you know whether it's mother nature or um, unpredictable things that happen in society around us uh, I also try and just remind myself that uh, we can't and will never have that much control over the world around us. Yeah, it's interesting. I think uh, what you're describing sounds to me like um, it sounds like panic to me. It's like mm -hmm. people at the individual level um, have maybe because of the the soft times we're living in these days, but they've they've lost their appetite for any kind of, you know, pain or or. Uh, uh, whatever it is, you know, yeah. there's no resiliency anymore. Um, cause the truth is life is unpredictable. Um, mm -hmm. and it seems like we in the West have made, we we've decided to trade in our Liberty for, for a little bit of safety and security. Yeah. But also for convenience, mm -hmm. you know, which is far more upsetting yeah. to me. Um, like, this is this is the this is the unlocked door that lets the wolf in. This is the uh, 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 your this 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 is the 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 security weakness uh, in the construct of liberty in general. It's that instead of being able to it not not just able but able and willing to solve your own problems and solve problems at the lowest possible level through your community and your family and whatever else it is. We rely on larger and larger organizations, whether they're governments or businesses or PACs or whatever it is. And that shit ain't free, man. I mean, it's like they, they're getting something out of that deal. Now, sometimes it makes sense. Sure. But for the vast majority of those things, um, 
even if something begins in a noble way, uh, all it takes is one shitty leader to seize that power, right? And that's the whole point of federalism. It's the point. It's the reason we set up our system of government the way we did, which is to diffuse federal power as much as possible and make sure that states had rights, make sure that local communities had rights. And, And it's that's the ultimate inoculation to tyrannical bullshit. That's the reason we set it up this way. But it doesn't really work that way anymore. Like the a federal agency filled with uh, unelected bureaucrats can change a policy and turn people into felons overnight if they feel like it, right? And there's you can go through the courts for recourse, and we've done that multiple times these days. But that's a real thing that exists in our government, in the United States government in, in the 21st century. And I think our uh, 18th and 19th century counterparts would have been super fucking pissed off about that. You know, I, um, when you talk about the liberty and security, I think this is a great example of the, the challenge. You can look back in history and it happens in, in various iterations, but the challenge across the, the political spectrum in this never ending slide towards more concentrated power. Um, and there are things that are very unequal in society and there are things that need to change. Uh, but the left and the right have sort of locked arms together in terms of the traditional left and right in this continued slide towards a higher and higher concentration of power. And they sort of uh, hand off back and forth to each other. Well, we'll let you do this, but you got to let us do that. Um, Naval Ravikant uh, had a, I think it was a podcast with Joe Rogan many years ago. And I love the way that he said it. He said, the, the perfect system is one where you design it and then hand the keys over to the person you deem your polar opposite or enemy in ideology to run it for the next 10 years. That's the perfect system. Um, and unfortunately, we live in a country where um, we have fewer and fewer liberties as individuals. Uh, and I don't think anyone could really argue that that's not the case. Now, you may say, people may say, I, I like that, that I'm, I'm okay with that trade-off. Um, but ultimately, we have less power, we have less autonomy, and we have less ability to make decisions. And different political factions are pissed off about that for different reasons. Um, but uh, that is a, a very concerning element, especially with the acceleration of technology uh, that drastically amplifies some of these characteristics and and some of these things that we're seeing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, when you say technology, are you talking about creative destruction or? uh... No, no, the opposite, the concentration and the ability to amplify power with the use of technology. So if you think about surveillance, Mm -hmm. if you think about camera technology, um, I, the last time I was in China was uh, probably six years ago or so. Um, and I found myself, um, you know, people talk, you know, it's a little black mirror these days. Um, you can't really do anything in China anymore without WeChat. Mm-hmm. And um, you really can't move more than a few feet without going from one surveillance camera to another. Um, and so I was having a, a conversation with someone recently. They were saying that some future predictor person was saying that, you know, they predict that China will fall as we see it today. The, the powers that be will fall within the next decade. Maybe, uh, and I have no idea. And I think anyone that claims to know is, is, is again, lying to themselves. But what we haven't seen is the level of control through surveillance and technology that exists today at any point in time in history. So while many things repeat themselves throughout history, in China with the social credit score, with WeChat basically controlling every aspect of your life, 
and surveillance, it, it is possible to basically not be able to do a single thing in that country um, that, that you want to do, uh, right? And so people who write a bad check or uh, have to declare bankruptcy for a potentially legitimate reason may never be able to do anything again for the rest of their lives. And so certainly there could be an uprising or you know a downfall of the powers that be, but we just haven't seen something like this with this level of power play out before. Um, I say that, who knows, maybe there's some version of that in history that I haven't read yet uh, and need to continue to brush up on my history. But uh, the use of technology is quite frightening sure. today in terms of centralizing power and effectively the inability to really mount a proper defense, uh, especially given um, the potential costs in doing so. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you the state has unlimited resources to come at you. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, the, the China examples are obvious to our crowd. It's something that they follow a lot, but there's Western examples of this as well. I mean, um, we know that the FBI has been illegally surveilling pretty much everybody in the country at, at what, like, however the fuck they feel like doing it. Um, the Patriot Act is, was a huge mistake. When you talk about um, creating something and handing it off to your worst enemy, right? That's kind of the litmus test for a good bill. A good, a good bill is clear, concise, and enforceable. Yeah. Those are the three things that you want out of a bill. Um, the yeah. clarity is that it's obviously very obvious what it's talking about. Like it, it applies mm-hmm. to this thing. Uh, being concise means it's limited in scope. And a normal person could read it. Right. Yeah. Uh, limited yeah. in scope, meaning that it's not a generalization. It doesn't ban a bunch of shit or criminalize a bunch of ancillary behavior. It, it's specific to one thing. And uh, obviously, uh, enforceability means it has some teeth, right? It's not just like a, a, a crime must have a victim. That is the general idea, but we, we don't really obey that idea anymore. Crime is just now defined by something the government doesn't want you to do in a lot of ways. Now, the, the examples in the West of technology being leveraged against us, some of them are pretty obvious, like social media uh, being, I, I hear people talking about hacked voting machines and shit like that. And who fucking knows, man? I don't know. I don't think that happened, but maybe it did. But you can, it, it's a far more effective to hack somebody's mind, to pump them with bullshit all day long and have them voting on stuff that doesn't actually have any impact on their daily life. And it's, we see that happen all the time now. Um, I I don't know if this is true or not, so I I probably shouldn't repeat it, but at least the idea sounds like it has merit. Uh, You know, in in the United States, uh, TikTok, which I won't even sort of unpack all the problems with mm -hmm. TikTok, but uh, you know, it's, it's people dancing and it's, it's all sorts of, you know, the normal social media garbage. Um, in China, apparently, TikTok shows educational videos and is kind of aspirational, inspirational, you know, the message that the state wants people to have. And when you look at that across an entire population, um, a- as you say, that that may be far more effective than even the most nefarious uh, proposals uh, that, that could be put forth otherwise is literally changing the, the mindset of a population over time. Um, I, I, t- I tend not to be as nihilistic or doomsday about social media as others. I do think it's a huge challenge and a huge problem, but again, look back in history and people used to say that about the printing press and sure. people used to say it about music or TV or whatever it might be. Uh, you know, kids these days have always been wrong, uh, in, in the, in the eyes of elders. But, um, 
I do think there's a lot of good that comes from it. Uh, and I certainly uh, appreciate and under us. I, I, I appreciate and um, don't think we should underestimate the shortcomings or challenges. Right. Yeah. And another another example is uh, I don't know if you followed the uh, the trucker protests in Canada or not, but yeah, um, a lot of money was raised on different websites. Gibson Go is where they ended up later on, but mm-hmm. they started with, uh, you know, some of the more popular crowdfunding sites and the Canadian government subpoenaed those organizations and froze the bank mm-hmm. accounts of people who gave mm-hmm. more than $25 to the movement. That's yeah. fucked. That's, that, that's one of the worst things that I think I've ever heard of a government doing in the West, to be honest. It's, it's frightening when ideas and speech end up being policed at that level. Cause at the end of the day, that is what we're talking about is ideas and speech are being policed. Um, and, uh, I I've seen, uh, tremendous calls for censors censorship from both the left, the traditional left and the mm-hmm. traditional right. And it's basically, if I don't like the idea, it's either not okay, should be banned or, you know, the extreme is that it's effectively, we should compare you to Hitler. Um, and the like instant Hitlerization of speech today shows how unserious we are about real dangerous actual you know problems in this country and and frankly in in the west writ large um and so uh, there are very 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 few things that should ever actually be banned from a speech perspective um and there is this reflexive uh power grab today from the powers that be whether it's left or right to just shut down speech and that is potentially the most dangerous thing that we can do because when you shut down speech and you shut down ideas, people stop thinking and stop being able to do just about anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is one of the things that I am uh, relentless on is there, there's just almost nothing that we should ban. Uh, You can, you can say there are venues where it may be more or less appropriate. Um, There are certainly things in schools that are more or less appropriate for ages. Um, But, but by and large, we shouldn't be banning speech or ideas. Uh, and that goes all the way through to how we allow people to conduct financial transactions. Um, and it's it's frightening. This is where technology starts to be very different, right? When payment processors are no longer either themselves allowing or even allowed to conduct certain transactions, we're starting to face a pretty serious problem from a speech perspective. Sure, yeah. One of the biggest impediments to authoritarianism used to be that you had to get uh, you had to have collaborators from amongst the population, right? You had to have mm-hmm. enough people in the population willing to to effectively do violence on behalf of the state to maintain the authoritarianism. Now, technology will allow governments to move past that. They will be able to uh, uh, seize your assets, right? Mm-hmm. They will be able to take your livelihood away with a computer stroke instead of sending cops to your house or whatever it is, right? Instead of sending the National Guard or whatever the fuck they used to do back in the day in the uh, 19th century. Um, that should be concerning for anybody. I know that uh, it, it is unfortunately the, the case that people on one side or the other very frequently don't really give a shit if it's their uh, opponent getting fucked over. But that's kind of the, that's how bad shit always happens, right? It's the, first they came for the socialists and I wasn't a socialist, so I didn't stand up. And they came mm-hmm. for the uh, trade unions, and I wasn't a trade unionist, so I didn't stand up. And then they came for the Jews, and I wasn't a Jew, so I didn't stand up. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to stand up for me. Right? Yeah. That's that's that is the danger. It's not it's not just about 
it's not, we're not moralizing the issue here. It's not just about being a good person. There's a practical reason to do this shit and it's to decentralize power and to insulate communities from being able to be oppressed by them. You know, I don't understand why this is so difficult for some people to understand. I think cause it's just easier to support the seizing of power. Um, you know, it's, I mean, people do, people do to like to support a winner. It. People like to feel like they're on the winning team. That's a, that's a true statement. People also like to be in power mm. and even adjacent to power. Uh, and I, one of the things that I feel like resonated most with me as I first sort of started listening to Jordan Peterson and um, reading his books and uh, have, have a lot of admiration for his courage and conviction in, in speaking his, you know, the, speaking the truth. One of the points that he made was most people like to assume that in World War II, they would have been Schindler. Mm. And in reality, the statistics prove otherwise in terms of the number of people that either were directly a part of the Nazi party or were sympathizers or sort of enablers that one in, uh, I think it was one in three people ended up being some sort of informant or supporter of the Nazi state. Uh, And so you think about at the time, family of six was very normal statistically two of the people were supportive of the state or the party in some capacity that's really frightening um and so coming full circle back to something that we talked about from the beginning what what can we do what can you and i do what can any given person do take care of your own house Mm. right don't ever lie and don't support liars speak the truth no matter what and if you do those two things look after your own house and build a strong family and speak the truth um, then you can have time to worry about other people, right? If you do those two things first, you, you'd be surprised how much better your life can get. And then all of a sudden things around you can get a lot better. But ultimately I see this in people that I know and, and, and all around us, it's a lot easier to yell and scream and point at other people than to turn inwards and look at what, what's wrong in my own life and what can I be doing to be a more positive contributor to myself, my family, my community. And then I can start to worry about a lot of those other things. Um, but there's, uh, there's a lot of ease and momentum in going along with the crowds and the mobs and the screaming and the yelling, and it, it can feel very good, um, because it also distracts you from focusing on what should you be looking after in your own life. Yeah. And it goes both ways too. I mean, you're, it, this is basically the inverse of the bystander effect, right? Like the, the mm-hmm. more people around not doing something, the less likely it is somebody will do something, but then, you know, the momentum, yes. the momentum of the crowd, we see this in, um, uh, when I was at Penn State, I, I have a master's degree in uh, Homeland Security. But one of the, you know, some of the stuff you study there is, um, you know, group psychology in in mass casualty events and then in protests and things like that, and just little things. Um, sometimes it doesn't even have anything to do with the protest. Like there will be an internal dispute inside of the protest. Mm-hmm. Two people will start fighting and then there's a riot, right? That had nothing to do. Mm-hmm. They're not rioting necessarily over the cause they all came for. They're rioting because two assholes started fighting. It's this, right. this psychology is very contagious. And, you know, <clears throat> it does sound daunting. I mean, for, for a lot of people, especially people who have, um, this is one of the problems we faced in Iraq. They've been so used to being told mm-hmm. what to do all the time. It was hard to get them mm-hmm. back in the mindset where, hey, you control your own life now. You got to start doing some shit. Yes. You got to think for yourself. You got to make your own way here. It was very difficult to get people to take control of their life again. And I understand it from, from that perspective, you know, just being yes. conditioned over time and things like that. But of course. it sounds 
difficult. It sounds like a pain in the ass, but it's to me, it's good news. It means you actually have some control over your life. And that's the thing that people want, whether they can admit it to themselves or not. This, uh, this liberty streak that uh, particularly Americans have, that's what it's rooted in. I want to take, I want to do what I want to do. And, you know, you've got the ability to do that. It just comes at a cost. You know, there's going to be a cost for that. Just like there's a cost for anything else. If you want to go to Disneyland, it's 400 bucks a ticket. If you want to fucking control your own <laughs> yes. life, you got to stop acting like an asshole. You know what I mean? And start taking control. I mean, I, I, I'm sure many of the folks listening to this have, have come across Jocko Willink at some point in, in time, some form or fashion, but, uh, extreme ownership, right? Every mm. single thing that happens to in life is, is your, is yours to own. And certainly there are externalities that you can't control, but what you can do is say, I get to decide what I do next. Um, and that is the most daunting and fulfilling and uplifting thing possible. Um, there are going to be things that happen that we don't like that aren't fair, any of whatever, but you can decide how you react and you can decide what, what can happen next. And you can also say, thank God I'm the person dealing with this. Cause I don't know if anyone else could handle mm. it in that way. Um, and it's easier to be a victim, it's easier to point the finger, it's easier to assign blame to any number of different aspects of life or society or your family. Um, but nothing will change if you do that. Um, you know, you might be able to, you might be able to incite a mob or, uh, you know, piss a bunch of people off and, and get them to agree with you, but it's not actually going to change anything positive in your life. 100%. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's wrap this up then. It's been a great conversation. I really appreciate you coming today. Is there anything else you'd like to share with these guys before we get out of here? Um, you know, I think uh, I think we've hit all of these points, but I would just maybe close with um, every single one of us has a chance to look after our own body, our own mind, our own family, and uh, make a positive impact there first. Uh, and if you can do that, then you can start to make an impact on on those around you. And uh, again, that's one of the most uplifting things possible. And um, you know, when you see a pylon, when you see a mob, don't participate, uh, it helps steer people in another direction. Yeah. Be a fucking leader, you know, be a leader. Like if you, if you care about the things around you and you're unhappy with the way they're going, the only answer to that is to be a leader and lead things in the other direction. That's the only way you can do it. Um, and tell everybody then, about the company again. Yeah. So the company is called Mizzen and main M I Z Z E N A N D M A I N. You just start Googling Mizzen. It'll, it'll show up. Uh, but we we created uh, the world's first performance fabric dress shirt. And now we have everything a guy needs to to look great, feel great, and as we say, conquer comfortably. Uh, check us out and appreciate the support. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming today, man. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Yep. Appreciate the conversation. And we appreciate you all listening. This has been Citizen. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit, check. Sunscreen, check. Phone charger, check. 
Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.